0: Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Douglas Batchelor. Douglas is a practising magician and creator of the What Magic Is This podcast where he discusses and explores a wide range of occult and fortian topics with curious friends and guests. It's both informative and engaging. Listening to an episode feels like being part of a laid-back but enthusiastic tutorial on the esoteric. In the interview, I talked with Douglas about the beginnings of his interest in magic and how his practice of it has changed and evolved as time has gone on. We also talked about some of the magical traditions that have been part of that and the cultures they came from, as well as some unusual experiences he has had whilst honing his craft. It was a really fun and interesting chat. Enjoy! Douglas, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You've been practising magic now for 18 years. How did you get started?
1: How did I get started doing magic? I think what it was, well, when I say I started and consciously started doing magic, I was about 21 years old or so, 20, 21 years old, Um, and it was because of a DVD put out by the disinformation company who was, uh, they published books. They used to have a website. It was disinfo.com. But at one point, they had a uh, a TV show that aired in England, uh, on your side of the world, uh, on Channel 4. And it only ran for like four episodes because it was highly controversial. Um, it was all over the place. And apparently, nobody watched it. But uh, the company itself, they put on a uh, a conference in New York in 2000 called DisinfoCon, and they recorded that. So when they released this DVD, they included this conference on this second DVD that they had. And I was working at a video store in Calgary, Alberta at the time called Casablanca Video. Uh, if anybody <laughs> has been to Calgary or been to Casablanca, um, it no longer exists, unfortunately. But uh, I used to just take out all of the weird DVDs that we got there. And, um, you know, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't discriminate. I just, if it looked interesting, I would take it out. And this was a somewhat striking cover. It had Richard Metzger holding a cigarette, who's one of the guys who runs the disinformation company. Anyways, the the first DVD is great. I loved it. Then I put on the second DVD of DisinfoCon. And uh, there's a great interview. It starts with a great interview with Douglas Rushkoff, who I still follow today. He's a really wonderful, uh, incredibly incisive man. But the second... um the second performer or speaker at this Infocon was Grant Morrison, the comic book writer. And I, I didn't know anything about Grant Morrison comics. I had no idea who this guy was. But he screams into the microphone and then announces that he had dropped LSD, so everybody watch out for it. And then he proceeds to just talk for, jeez, about an hour. And what he's talking about is so weird and bizarre, but he talks about sigil magic at one point. And I was blown away. I remember watching it at night. I was just blown away. But he's like, is this real? Is this, like, this can't be real. Not at all. I mean, the late 90s was always like an interesting time. Late 90s, early aughts. And, you know, we all went through the Matrix and stuff like that. And this idea of hacking reality was really cool. But Grant Morrison was actually talking about taking letters out of sentences and combining them to create a glyph and so that if you do this and in some way charge that glyph you can change your reality and this was so bizarre to me and i it was so weird and i thought nothing of it and i went i went to sleep and i had amazing dreams i just had the most unbelievable dreams like dreams that are more real than than reality and So when that happens, it was kind of one of those things where I wanted to investigate a little bit more. And each night over the period of, I think, the next eight days, I would just re-watch Grant Morrison and uh, another person on DisinfoCon, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. I would watch those two guys speaking. And every time I did, I would have an amazing dream. And um, that's really what did it. And eventually, I just started to try sigils. I think my first sigil was uh, to try and make more friends and my second sigil was (laughs) to lose my virginity because i'm a lame person i guess and they worked extremely fast and so i believe uh late november i wrote in one of my diaries i just basically wrote that it looks like i'm a chaos magician and so that's kind of where i say like that's how i started doing magic i just I watched a couple of DVDs. I mean, how 21st century is that? You watch a DVD and the next thing you know, you're, you're, uh, you're a magician. But that's how it happened for me.
0: Excellent. So when it came to creating the sigils, were you going off of, of that information that, was, that Grant Morrison was talking about? Or where did you look to, to, to sort of get started on that kind of thing?
1: So Disinfo, also at the same time, or maybe a couple of months after they released the Disinfo DVD, uh, they put out a book called Book of Lies. Now, it's not to be confused with Al- Alistair Crowley's Book of Lies. Uh, this was just a collection of essays from authors such as Genesis Peoridge and, um, I believe, oh, jeez, um, Robert Anton Wilson has an essay in there, uh, but one of the 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 book actually begins with Grant Morrison's essay, and it's an essay called "Pop Magic," and he just kind of expounds a little bit about the sigil process. It's not very big; it's literally like I think five paragraphs long. He just he talks a bit more about what he mentioned in his uh, in his presentation, and. Yeah, just follow that it's it's literally as easy as um well what I did, <laughs> no shade because I guess this is how a lot of us start is yeah, you take a sentence, some desire, and of course you know is my is my desire to uh make more friends, and you know so I take out the uh, it's repeating consonants. I take out all the vowels, and I just get left with these jumble of numbers. And I start drawing them in weird ways, and they have something that kind of looks like it would b- belong on the side of a cave uh, in in France, deep dark France cave, and it looks nice. And then I would charge it. And in this instance, I did the old tried and tested method of, of masturbation. Right? <laughs> no shade um, yeah. to anybody who still does that, but also it's just like that's that's what uh, that's what they mentioned and. Uh, yeah that's that's basically how I did it. I I Grant was Grant Morrison who I again I had never read any of his comic books. I later eventually read The Invisibles and The Filth, but uh Grant was basically the the guy that kicked off everything. It was he was kind of my early guiding light for for magic.
0: Cool. So so what happens next for you in in terms of practicing magic? What did you find that you had to find a different practice to develop or i mean was there a point at which chaos magic sort of you you felt you'd done what you wanted with with something like that
1: well it, i was living in at the time i was living at edmonton alberta which is not the most um There's not a ton of stuff. (laughs) There's not a ton of bookstores. I'm going to say like alternative bookstores. They had one and it was called Sanctuary. And uh, luckily they had some like Robert Anton Wilson books. They had a couple of Aleister Crowley books, uh, but they also had, um, I believe they had Pete Carroll books and they had one Phil Hine book. So uh, immediately I went to grab Robert Anton Wilson books and Aleister Crowley books. And uh, yeah, but the one book, the, the book that really, Nailed it for me was was condensed chaos by Phil Hine, and I just loved everything about it. To this day, I love that book. There's such an amazing amount of nostalgic, um, and it's still a really practical book for people. But that was it. I just I kind of held on to doing chaos magic for a period of about two two three years. Uh, I had some stuff that was happening in my personal life. I had a film and video production company, and uh, that uh, that was going great. It was like literally my life for a while and the magic was still there, but it wasn't as uh, predominant. And then that blew up. And then I kind of like slid back into doing magic Um, and it kind of hit like a rough period of time. I was spending money on lawyer's fees and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, I had to move, I literally had to move back in with my mother uh, in down in Calgary, Alberta. There's nothing more embarrassing than moving back in with your mother when you're like, you know, 24, 25 years old. But uh, it was just necessary for finances. And I found, you know, I was just doing a little bit more magic. And then eventually what happened was that I, I just drifted away from chaos magic. I think I found uh, reading more Alan Moore and uh, per- particularly his comic book Promethea, where it it goes through... Uh, kind of his magical process but it's more golden dawn hermetic order of the golden dawn alistair crowley the ish enochian ish uh so i just I, I found myself drifting into the more what at the time i thought was going to be more austere magic like this is the real stuff like the chaos magic stuff that's just that's that's cereal box kids stuff um i'm, I'm you know that's the fast food restaurants of of, of magic and now i'm going to I'm going to upgrade to, uh, to the fine restaurants, the Michelin star restaurants of magic. And um, yeah, so I just I just went to that stuff. And I was committed to that for the next seven years, basically. I was doing that kind of stuff. I very quickly called myself a Thelemite, right? Just, you know, without having joined any order. And I was like, yes, like I'm, I'm Golden Dawn Thelemite or I just I just did all of that stuff. It was really uh it was really great stuff for me. And yeah, that's just basically how what I evolved to. But uh, it's kind of funny because I've I've gone back to I guess
0: the fast food restaurants. <laughs> so. What was it that drew you to thelema? Uh
1: what was it that drew me to Thelema? Truthfully, I think just the personality of of Alistair Crowley, I think his life story is such an amazing one. And when I was younger, Um, A lot of the things that he said, particularly regarding things like freedom, are very, I'm not going to say they're adolescent because that might be misconstrued as me saying that they're shallow, but they're very fire and brimstone about your individual self, your true will. It's you against the world, but if you only do your thing, then the world will bend to you. Uh, and it, that was incredibly appealing to me from the age of like 20, 25, 26, 27 to all the way to about the age of 30. You know, that's that's kind of stuff that I wanted. I want the universe to change at my behest and my will. And and that so that was the, immediately the thing that uh, that drew me. But more so than anything, I think Alistair Crowley's story is just such an interesting one. And he's got he's got an interesting sense of humor and uh, and some very funny Funny ways of, of of thinking about magic and thinking about uh, everybody's place in the world, and you know, I was I was reading fairly, I'm going to say, uh, favorable books about Aleister Crowley, and it took a while before I found Aleister Crowley was uh, he's a very complicated individual. I'll just put it that way, beyond complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way of describing him, I think. <laughs> So going from chaos magic to something like Thelema, what were some of the challenges in doing that? That seems like you're saying it's a bit of a step up. So yeah. what did you have to do in to sort of prepare yourself for, for doing the sort the rituals that are involved in in a practice like that?
1: Well, the first thing was is that they particularly with with the Golden Dawn Thalema stuff, is that just the amount of books out there of these guys is frankly frightening like it's so crazy and you can find a lot of it online so it was tough for me to try and find the stuff that was actually pertinent now it's a a little bit better Uh, I think you know I could literally give somebody like four books if they want to you know get into Thelema and Golden Dawn based magic. Like it had I found Stephen Skinner's techniques of high magic, that would have been like my my Bible, right, going forward. But I had to like piece together things. So like, you know, learning <laughs> learning the meditation stuff and then learning the um uh going through all the elemental uh correspondences and visual visualizations and and uh and that kind of stuff so it was it my life had to be a little bit more regis, uh, regimented, so I would actually, you know, try and set aside time to, to meditate, and then I would try to meditate more and more every day. And then I would do some of the exercises that I'd find on like little snippets of stuff I found online, and I would just try to go from there. So my life became um, more of a routine as far as my magic. I would try to treat my magic as as more like a um, like something I had to do, like a job almost. So that was, that was very different than chaos magic, which was just basically like, I want to do something, let's just do something. This was more like I felt, uh, because it, there is a routine to this kind of magic, it is very regimented. And um, I think that works for some people. And uh, perhaps at that time, I thought that just because of its nature of being regimented, that it is better magic than chaos magic, um, which I've since found out that that's, it's not really how I work. But that was the hardest thing for me was just the having to set aside time for magic and and uh having to work on the things and uh, i'm i'm pretty good at visualization and that kind of stuff but it's it's not uh i i used to think that that was you know where magic actually happens and i've since drifted from that but um yeah, I, I feel that, that that was the major thing was just the the having to meditate. The the concentration on the meditation and visualization aspects of that form of magic I found very difficult. Um but if you know eventually you, you keep hanging in there and it gets it gets better. It does get better. It just it's tough. It's tough when you're a young, uh, young and also, you know, i I find it tough to sit in a chair for more than 30 seconds, right? People people ask me, like, when you're writing a book, I'm like, I have no idea. I mean, I cannot sit still. I have a very hard time sitting still. Uh, To this day, I'm a terrible meditator. Like, um, somebody asked me recently, like, how do they start a a better regiment for magic? And I was just like, uh, you know, and meditation. How do I get better at meditating? I have a really hard time. And truthfully, I said, nowadays, I'm actually pretty good with it. I just meditate when I feel like meditating. And I find that most days I feel like meditating. I don't really set a time for it. I just kind of do it when I feel like doing it, doing it. And that's actually easier for me. So if I'd have known that back in the day, I probably would have stuck around with that that system. A little, I would have found that system a little bit easier to do.
0: Hmm. So with, with Thalema, was it were you still sort of going through rituals that brought about real world results similar to chaos magic but it's more there's just more to it there's more of a ritual i guess
1: you know what truthfully it was less here's the thing about thelema uh, at least you know with my interactions with it it's a bit more mystical right like it's it's more about in, uh, making yourself better um well, a friend of the podcast and a uh, very awesome guy. I had him on the show, Michael Lux. He basically says, like, Golden Dawn and the is basically better living through Orientalism and funny hats. And <laughs> it's true. It's The the I, the idea was, at least for this form of magic, that was kind of concocted in the 19th, it was concocted in the 19th century and later carried forth into the early part of the 20th century. Is, it's about making yourself better better and, uh, and, in making yourself a, a more enlightened individual to be able to have these, these experiences so that eventually you can, in the case of Philema, you know, contact your holy guardian angel. And when that finally happens, then you have your partner and you can achieve your true will, or it'll tell you your true will and this kind of stuff. And, um, so I was always like perpetually stuck in this state of, you know, just trying to make myself better through, Meditating and visualizations and that kind of stuff. And so it was a bit more mystical and actual, actually practical, which was okay for a period of time. It was okay. It, 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 didn't, uh, it, it didn't do the things that I wanted it to do for magic for me. But, uh, it was still, I was learning a lot to learn the lingo of like Thelema and all of this stuff. It's, it's, it is very mystical and it is very appealing and the symbols are very cool and the postures that one will do and, you know, sign of the enterer and all of that fun stuff. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. But, um, you know, eventually after a period of time, I just was like, this isn't really doing a ton for me. <laughs> it's not really, it's not really, um, what I'm after, but, uh. But for a while that was kind of all i thought i knew as far as as far as uh, as magic was concerned until i discovered something like uh, the greek magical papyri and i I was starting to read other authors like stephen skinner and there's this other stuff i was like what is this other stuff and uh, then kind of everything changed
0: cool so um did you do that ritual that holy guardian angel ritual
1: so the abermelon operation uh no i never did the abermelon it's it's a huge what is it eight eight months goodness like (laughs) at that time when i was living in edmonton i literally moved maybe once every once every six months i was working in a restaurant i was uh i was bartending and also working in the kitchen and washing dishes i was like in everything for this one restaurant which you know it's no longer there but i love it to death and my life wasn't, (laughs) my life at that point was very chaotic. And to to sit down and be able to do the Abramelon or the, yeah, that would, that would never have happened. But I just thought that eventually if I just keep doing it and I just kind of keep pushing myself, you know, eventually this, this angel will show up. You never know. You never know. It never did. Thankfully. I say (laughs) I have, I have too much fun with uh, all the other spirits. I don't know how anybody can have just one spirit, but some people find it i guess and they do pretty well with it but i've never liked the idea of just one thing
0: hmm um so when you have magic and practicing magic as part of your life how did it complement the rest of your of your life did it did it make you sort of see the world differently i i mean I know, I know from i mean i'm not someone who really practices magic but i read a lot about it and it's definitely helped me to sort of i feel like i have a better perspective on on existence than i than i did before i took an active interest in reading about it
1: absolutely so i think for myself uh, i was very from the get-go like as a child uh, as i mentioned at the beginning of the episode like when i decided to actually say i was a magician is always like it's different because i was always very strange i i always enjoyed being outside and i I guess my parents would always consider me having imaginary friends, but they were very real to me. And they, it wasn't just something that stopped by the time I was five years old. I spent an enormous amount of time outside uh, with my dog and just uh, being in the woods. Luckily enough, I, was, I lived in rural Alberta, in the foothills of Alberta. Um, I, I could spend a lot of time outside, whether it be winter or, or summer, So I always felt that there was always more than just me around me all the time. I always felt like I was part of a different world. So when things like Carl Jung or Hermann Hesse or the books of Colin Wilson or any of the strange stuff would fall into my lap before, you know, I decided to call myself a magician, it seemed very familiar to me, Right it seemed like one of those things that I, I always knew that there was something more to the world. And I think that the magic is my practical magic nowadays. It's just, it's, it's more of being who I am. I was on a, I was on another podcast, a spirit box, which is a, a great podcast as well. And Dara asked me like, <laughs> what, what was like, how did, how did you start doing magic? And my answer to him was, was very, I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of off the cover. It was like, I just, I was just born this way. I'm born to do this kind of thing. So I think that some people are, are very spiritual. Um, Some people might be more, I don't want to use the word in tune because that kind of makes it sound mechanical, but I've always seen maybe not more, but different things than everybody. And magic is the vehicle via which I'm able to engage with that. It it doesn't come from watching, uh, you know, the news. It doesn't come from reading most of what's in the New York Times bestseller books. You know, my, my world exists in the esoteric more than it exists in what people would call the the wet, regular workaday rat race world so that's where that's where basically the magic i mean it i i find that i also had a struggle with mental health when i was younger and uh, i still struggle with my mental health to this day and that is mainly that mainly occurs when i don't engage with this part of myself when i don't engage with the more spiritual mystical magical side of myself i find that i suffer a little bit more because that is who i am <laughs> that is the world that i live in and it's kind of uh, refusing to engage in that um doesn't help me and so I, I, don't, I, want, I don't want this to be conscruted to people that like, who are maybe going through a mental health crisis that they need to go to magic to fix themselves. I did a whole episode where I was like, please don't. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> um, but for myself, I, I really registered that the most unhappy points of my life have always been the points where magic and esotericism and the occult has been more distant from me and so that's that's basically it it's it's always kind of been there uh it, it wasn't one of those things that i eventually found and like later worked into my life it was that my life already worked like that and i just found another route that was better at expressing it through these books and through uh these documents and through the practices themselves
0: cool yeah i mean i i read a book recently about magic uh by chris Gosden. It's called magic
1: and um, love
0: that book it's Fantastic book. Yeah, I, I I loved it too. It was um, yeah, it was excellent, and I, I loved how he sort of described how magic is complementary to science and religion. It's it's not in opposition, and it's a it's a participatory thing. That's something about its nature that, and I I really liked that. It really helped me to sort of get a bit of a better idea about about magic.
1: Absolutely, I'm going to gush about this book for a second because I was I'm always skeptical when major publishers because that was produced by Penguin, right? Yeah, yeah. I am always skeptical when Penguin or any of the major publishers release a book about magic. And I I will buy them and I will be like, ah, I mean it's always like, oh here we go. Better, you know, <laughs> better Better, uh, better see what's going on here. That book is a fantastic book. And I've actually begin, uh, begun recommending it for people as far as people um, who are interested in a, in a history, a, a nice overview of the history of magic. I think Chris did fantastic work on that book. And it is a wonderful, wonderful book. And he does not talk down on magicians. Um, and as you said, yeah, it, it should be complementary to the arts and the sciences. Because some of us are just like this. And it really is our way. And yeah, that's uh, for people listening, Magic: A History by Chris Gosden is fantastic.
0: Mm, I, agreed. Yeah, I was. I was the same. I, I was waiting for the for the cynicism to kick in in the book, and like, it's not. It's, this guy really gets really gets it. Oh, I it's such a relief.
1: <laughs> I know. I know.
0: <laughs> so, um, just before that, you were talking about the next stage of the sort of body of magic you were interested in was um, the Greek tradition, the magical papyri. What are they?
1: So the Greek magical papyri are a series of scrolls that were found all across Egypt. They can date from, I believe, like... Uh, it's most of them... Oh, there's a siren going by. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, go on. There we go. Uh, they date from... Most of them date from the early like 100 AD to about 400 AD some of them are a little bit before I think the oldest I might be wrong here the oldest might be 300 BC but there's just a series of papyri that were found all across Egypt some were found by um, there's one gentleman by the name I believe of Anastasi who uh, he basically was an antiquarian he he found these scrolls and he would just sell them to whoever would want to pay the most for them right Um, that I, I believe occurred at the beginning of the 18th uh, no 19th century uh, anyways they're all over all over the uh, museums across the world but they're literally just um, spells that were written down by somebody who uh, by several people but a, a large collection of them were written by probably one person who uh, uh, <laughs> One person who was uh, probably six months of the year, he would have been a priest in one of the temples. Most likely he would have been in um, Thebes uh, in Egypt, obviously not Greece, uh, Thebes, Egypt. And then for the other six months of the year, he would be kind of like a guy who would be a magician for hire. And so he would write down his spells. And uh, so these these documents are actually like a magician's workbook from the early uh, ad period the the common b or the common era and they're really fascinating because they have little things in there that say like this has worked nine times and so a lot of the stuff ranges from um phylacteries of like things to like to wear on your body to um apotropia, which is like protection uh, to a lot of times like theurgy and like trying to call gods to you and, and blessings and prayers. And it's all over the map because again, it's not just written by one person, but uh, in the eighties, a gentleman by the name of uh, Hans Dieter Betz, uh, I believe he was working at the university of Chicago. I could be wrong, but he released, uh, he translated all of them uh, or at least as many as he could find. Uh, we still suspect that uh, in in uh In the basement of most museums, these things exist, and maybe less than five percent of them have been translated. But he found a lot of these this this particular Theban magical library, and he translated them and he released them in a book and you can buy it it's a wonderful book, and you can just see how magic was done so when i I moved from Edmonton, Alberta to Toronto, Ontario, and I was in a funk um you know i my magic wasn't doing the best. I was kind of just sick and tired of having to sit around and, and meditate. And I didn't really feel, I, I felt more mystical than I felt magical. And, and, uh, and even the, mystic, the mystical that I did feel with my Thelema and Golden Dawn stuff, I wasn't in a good place. And I forget where I saw somebody mentioned the Greek magical papyri. I'm, I'm obsessed with Greece. I'm obsessed with Egypt. And so I was like, I'm going to check this out. And then from there, I just started reading about everybody who was talking about the Greek magical papyri. This would have been in 2013. And so it was just really starting to come to a lot of people's attention uh, from about 2010. Uh, And it's still really hot now. People are still doing a lot of stuff with it. But for me, it was like one of those ones that ticked all the boxes. Like, Like, here's like practical magic that has really strange, weird things in them. I'm going to start giving them a try. And so I started with things like like blessings because that was more in line with, um, you know, kind of what I was doing. The, the Aleister Crowley's um, Goetia, which I talked about in an episode of, of Goetia, is it, it includes something called the Bornless Rite, which is actually taken from a a, a, a thing called the Stella of Jew. Which is in the Greek magical papyri, and it's actually called the Headless Rite or the Headless Ritual. So that's kind of where I started to do these spells because it was more in line with the Thulema Golden Dawn stuff, and I just found it like really enlivening. I was using the names of gods that I loved, like Osiris and and uh, Isis and Anubis and and all of these things, and it was like it just really it really struck me as being like, okay, I found the stuff that really really interests me, and now now I feel like I'm. I'm actually cooking with magic and doing stuff. And it's so frustrating though, Rick, it's like you, if, if somebody was to open up this book, it's, it it asks you to do gruesome things. There's poop, there's eyeball (laughs) fluid. There's like, it's, it's all over the place, but it's such an incredible document. Um, It's of course, it's not a single document, but just the book itself, of all of magic that was literally done by somebody who, for six months of the year, would be a priest, and then the other six months of the year, he was trying to get money by going, you know, to houses and helping people magically and, and making things for them and uh, making ointments and and, uh, and incense for them, and it's really so fascinating. And one thing that the Greek magical papyri gets, you know, knocked on, knocked. A, Knocked fours, is, you know, it's like it's it's just you remember back in the 80s and the early 90s when there would be those books that are like a spell-a-day book? Well, that's basically what the Greek magical papyri is. And it's like, yes. And it's awesome for that reason, because we actually have a historical document of how um how somebody or several people, or you know, how almost like probably a generation of people um through hundreds of years, and probably further back too. Did magic? We can actually see it, so that's what the the Greek magical papyri is. It's really a fantastic document, but I do warn people if you go and just buy the Greek magical papyri and try to sit down and read it, it's like it's not what you're going to expect. It's so bizarre and all over the place, and it's kind of gross, and yeah, it's it's a weird one. But it's for somebody like me, it's like I got in I got into magic. I'm not going to lie. Like I got into magic because of Indiana Jones. Like, like you know, <laughs> like I want, I want this crazy weird stuff. I want poltergeist effects. I don't, the, the 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 lima and stuff like that is great if that's what you want to do if you if people need a framework to work with magic and, and they want to be more mystical and they want to be um, magical and it's not like the two are completely separate that's totally cool but i'm i'm going to admit like i got into magic because i want to see real things happen in my life i want to talk to spirits i want to see my magic have efficacy and i every once in a while i want to be scared shitless and um the greek magical papyri is like it'll do that (laughs) i talk about it in an episode that i did on greek magical papyri there's been some strange stuff that has happened when i when i interact with this kind of magic and i love it for that
0: it's yeah it's it sounds a fascinating practice can you can you talk a little bit about some of those scary things that have happened so the the
1: one that was most recent was there's a this isn't i like this one there is a uh Picture on the front of the Greek magical papyri book that you'll buy, the the Hans Dieter Betts, and it's it's a lovely little picture of um, Kepri Kepri or Kepferer, which is the a depiction of the god Ra uh, at the beginning of, or at least the sun god Ra, at the beginning of the day. It's this the setting sun for the ancient Egyptians, and it was it was um, a beetle. It's the 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 depiction of a beetle and if you see ancient egyptian artifacts there there's the beetle the, the dung beetle is very interesting of course because the dung beetle would roll dung and uh, they would see that as like the pushing of the sun across the horizon as it rises right so very interesting but i i took the picture from the front of the uh, book the greek magical papyri in translation and i blew it up and i have it on a i have it on a picture frame and i put it on my wall and um so this happened maybe about hmm, it was about a year and a half ago, and I was doing a series of uh, of, uh, of spells from the Greek magical papyri, and uh, it's something I talk about in one of my my Patreon episodes, in which I kind of rejig a spell, and I uh, use a pendulum. and uh, This was a process, a, a three day process for me because I, I wanted it to be a three day process. Anyways, I would I would do my thing, and I would complete it, and then um, I would normally, you know, I, I finish up and I go to bed, and uh, the first night that I did it, um, that picture came off my wall and now it's hung up by a nail and it's a very thick nail. And it just jumped off my wall and fell and hit the floor and it didn't break or anything. It just hit the floor. Interesting. Okay. I live in an old building. My buildings, you know, 1876 was when it was was erected. That's like a couple of years after Canada became a country. My building shakes when a semi-truck goes by, right? Which doesn't do it very often, but again, my building's old. This has never happened before. Okay. It's coincidence. Put it back up. Uh, The next time that I do this, this, uh, this ritual, same ritual. Um, I do it. I go to bed. The picture comes off the wall that night again. And this, you know, this, that's when, 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 when two things happen at the same time, um, I I actually uh, decided that uh, I would actually put Velcro on the picture after the second time it came off the wall. So I put Velcro and a nail because I just wanted to see like what's actually going on here. Um, And I actually talked. I was like, okay, guys, calm down. (laughs) Uh, Then the third time when I I took, uh, I did this uh, pendulum uh, spell from the Greek magical Papyrus. It's not actually a pendulum spell, but I adapted it. picture came off the wall it's held up by a nail and velcro like the velcro was still stuck to the wall um it just came off the wall um so i was just like something's really fucking up with it like it, something's not happy with what i'm doing or maybe it just really wants some attention anyways i took a picture of it and um i just found it kind of fascinating and then put the uh the the, the painting where the the picture back up on the wall and it hasn't happened since um, that being said like yeah it. some people will say you know just sometimes it happens but the fact that it happened three times when I was doing this, the, the same spell is just like yeah and the fact that the picture is literally from the cover of the book that I use right <laughs> it's a little bit too on the nose for me um, but that's the kind of stuff that you know when you're doing magic right other people would be freaked out with that and some people would be like I get an exorcist in I signed up for this. That's kind of that's, what, that's that's what I want to have happen, right? So, yeah, I know I don't, uh, you know, I don't I don't get freaked out. I didn't, you know, get get dragon blood resin and put it in a cauldron and put a coal on top of it and go through the house trying to get the spirits out of the house. That's that that was indicative for me that the thing that I'm doing I'm, I'm on the right track. I, I don't think that spirits in general are evil. I don't think we can put good or evil on spirits. Although I will say that some spirits um, they're, they can be histrionic. I'll just put that that way. They want your attention. And so that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that was the most recent thing. Yeah. That was the most recent thing.
0: Cool. So, so you, do you think um, because of what you were doing, you, you attracted something.
1: I think something was trying to get my attention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I try not to explain too too much, but the the fact that it happened and the fact that I I actually took measures to make it not happen and then it still happened. Velcro makes a noise when you rip it, right? <laughs> um, this didn't. It just. I was in bed. It was maybe eleven o'clock at night, and I just heard a thunk, 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 and my picture was on the wall, or sorry, was on the floor. It actually hit. There was a there was a, a humidifier that was below it. what so it actually hit the humidifier and cracked the humidifier when it came off the wall. And, uh, the, the third time it came off the wall, the picture fell out like the actual, um, picture that was from the, the yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I can send the picture to you if you really want. It's, it's kind of fascinating. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just think something, something weird happened.
0: And <laughs> uh, did stuff like that happen with when you were doing spells that involved other gods?
1: Other gods, uh, that kind of stuff happens quite frequently. I mean, um, the one that one that really distressed me uh, was because now, like, I I, I would kind of consider myself, I mean, I don't like labels too much. I literally just call myself a magician. Uh, but if I had to say, like, what direction my magic goes, I say, like, it's negromantic necromancy with, with lashes of Greco-Egyptian magic. Uh, a lot of what I do now is informed by uh, grimoires, which are books of magic that were written for a long, long time ago. And I, I do a lot of the things from that stuff. And you'll find that when you do that kind of, of magic, it's, it gets very intense and particularly, you know, the spirits, sometimes they're called demons. Sometimes they're called infernal spirits sometimes, Sometimes they're angels, um, fallen angels, even the the honored dead, that kind of stuff. But if I'm when you engage in that kind of stuff, you do get more of the spirit interaction. Because I think the reason that those were invented um, is, as uh, as Golden White, who who runs uh, Rune Soup, has said, like grimoires and uh, goesha are designed to get you to crazy spirit interactions from a standing start, like. And that's literally what these books are. And it's just like if you can do the things in these books and you try to follow them as close as possible, um, you do some substitutions, then very strange stuff is going to happen. And it's true, it does. Um, and that's again, that's that's kind of the reason that I do magic. Other people other people get into magic for different reasons. Some people get into it for the occult philosophy. Um, and a lot of times it's not just one reason, but uh, yeah, as I said, I like the I, I like the Indiana Jones stuff. So I don't get distressed about it, but particularly, you know, when I, when I do, um, more spirit based magic, you will find that you have very discernible results that are hard to just basically say, well, well, that was, that was the wind or something like that. Um, one that happened about a year ago was, um, uh, I have a, I have, again, I live in an old building. So they just re they just installed a, a back door, a new back door that I can go down to my, uh, my patio. Cause I live, I live above my patio and I have to go down a fire escape there. And I, I keep plants down there. So last summer I was, I was watering my plants and, uh, the, the door was just installed and, uh, the property management company hadn't delivered my back key yet, the new key to the lock to the back door. And, um, I was down watering my plants and something locked the door on me my back door on me um I I'm I'm 100% certain that nobody broke in unlocked my door broke in did absolutely nothing to my apartment locked the back door and then went out again so that's kind of the the weird stuff that can happen and that happened like literally the day after I did something fairly uh interesting with a particular grimoire and yeah this this kind of thing it's part of part and parcel and in, in interacting with this kind of stuff. <laughs> I know it sounds like really um, exciting and, and that kind of thing. And we all have this idea of, of the movies, you know, and I'm wearing robes and stuff like that. But um, for the most part, I'm pretty freewheeling with it. And um, I don't do a lot of the major spirit interactions in my apartment. Uh, I try to go outside of where I live, um, but I do like smaller stuff that I've kind of concocted myself in my apartment. And uh, I find that even then that's where I will still get very strange, very strange things happening. But yeah, the, the, the door locking one, that was really weird. I mean, it's, it hasn't happened since. I don't know if it was like a faulty lock that they put on there and then some somehow it just, but it's still the same lock. I haven't changed it and it actually is very hard to lock. It's one of those locks, you know, that you have to kind of give it a bit more wrist action, but yeah fun times it's fun times people again people get freaked out by this i don't i don't i've had a very strange life and and i think i i I roll with this kind of stuff much more than other people would um doesn't make me better or anything like that i just people process this stuff very differently and strange things have kind of always happened to me all my life
0: it sounds sounds really interesting i haven't had anything like that happen but um i had i do have things disappear where I live, and I just have to. I've learned to just sort of yeah. politely ask for things back, and then eventually they turn can up. Can I get it back, please? Yeah.
1: Yes. Exactly. That's 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 wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, when you're doing when you're doing this kind of thing, I mean, do you f- find that you have to sort of not think too much about what the entities that you're interacting with are? Because I, I would, I think I would find myself wondering if, um, you know, I'm I'm contacting something that is the same thing that a, a magical practitioner might have been in touch with two, 3000 years ago. Um, um, and, and, and I get the sense that perhaps in doing that, I would be overthinking things. Is that correct?
1: Well, it's different strokes for different folks kind of stuff. And I know that sounds really wishy washy as far as magic is concerned, but truthfully, it's such a personal process. I know some people really love the idea. and As soon as something happens to them, they're like, I did this spell and then I had this dream and this figure appeared to, to me and and it told me I had to do things. And so now they rush out and they find a book of Greek mythology and they're like, aha, it was obviously this Greek god and I'm going to continue trying to, to contact. That's all really cool. And I would never say like, don't do that. Absolutely do that. I just never found that that kind of thing was um, overly interesting for me when I do have certain spirits and certain like kind of like guides and allies Saint Cyprian being one of them who's who's kind of known as being like the the patron saint of magic and necromancy but I mean for for other people if if you want to get specific if getting specific and having an explanation for you helps you in your quest for magic, that is all cool and good. I would never say don't do that. For myself, I just think I don't need an explanation. Um if I do want that, um verification for something, I'll either do it through divination or I will say like I need I need a sign, like I will actually talk to the spirit and be like I need a sign that you are what you actually say you are. And then uh, if nothing happens, then I'm just like I need you to be more clear. It's it's this very strange process, and um, it's never the same. Um, no matter what kind of spirit interaction I'm going through, it's hard to explain. But uh, for myself, yeah, I would say that I don't I don't try to explain things. I think explanation, uh, as far as magic is concerned, isn't helpful. And I know a lot of people. Have the, the thalamic idea that you know magic is the science of causing uh, change to occur with with will. It's a scientific thing, and I get that. I really get that. That's wonderful. That's fine. I think that I have been more effective in my magic when I've kind of let the i've I've let my foot off the um, the pedal for science and been more about having fun and just following intuition. And just kind of letting things happen. I, f- I find that there things are much easier to happen to me. And, and sometimes, you know, when I'll do the same spell, if it does work the same time, I just make a note of it. Like I don't make a too big of a deal out of it. So yeah, for myself, I think that uh, just keeping an open mind. And uh, when the time comes for me to want to get specific, I, I don't, um, I want the spirit to meet me on its terms. I'll just put it that way. and. I don't think that uh, me having to rush around and trying to explain what is going on to me is is the most helpful thing in my instance. But other people do. Other people find that that helps them quite a bit. So again, as, as I started, different strokes for different folks in this, in this regard. Whatever works for you works for you. And that's, that's the part of the beauty of magic is figuring out what works for you. And it's a glorious thing. And uh, that's one of the things that I just had somebody recently in, in my Discord server. He basically says, like, I, I started magic with this whole idea of, you know, like doing it step by step by step by step. And uh, by like just being here on this Discord server and talking to you, Doug, it, it's it's basically I've just allowed my intuition to take over and things are happening and they're happening very well. And, and the problem with telling people that it's really in their own hands is that um, you know? A lot of people don't really make money. People make money on books by selling selling you books, giving you an A to B on how to do magic, and uh, I don't ever want to do that. I think that I think we're all born magicians for the most part, and uh, it's just about finding what you're good at and what works for you. That's
0: it. Mm, I I think that's really good advice. Uh, episode of your podcast I really enjoyed was one where you talk about dreams and dreaming, and you in in that you, you recommend uh, keeping a dream journal if you want to get into practicing magic. Can you just talk a little bit about the relationship between dreams and, and magical practice?
1: So for myself, <clears throat> you had uh, you had Eric Wargo on your show,
0: um, yeah, and yeah. I, I love that episode,
1: yeah. And Eric's, uh, I, I had a dream journal before Eric, and and uh, but it was reading time loops. What was that too? two and a half years ago. The last 18 months is all like smushed together anyways (laughs) because of things happening. But, um, the dream journal stuff I think is very, very important. Dreams have always been the vector via which we have had access to the uncanny for as long as we have been able to have dreams. And I want people to really sit with that. Dreams are such an unbelievable process and we all do it. Some of us are just better at remembering our dreams than other people. Eric's uh, contention in time loops, but more specifically in his newest book, uh, Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self, his thesis is is that all dreams are precognitive. Now, I would agree with this. I think that dreams are this and so much more. So for myself, what I've actually tried doing, um, and with the help of Eric's uh, newest book, and this is something I I try to talk to uh, some of the people in my, my Patreon about, it's just um, when there's the process of recording your dreams, uh, you have this thing where you go back and read the dreams later on, and what will actually occur? These like really strange connections, and they might fit into things that you are already thinking that you want to do as far as your magic is concerned. Particularly if you're thinking about magic on a on a constant basis, and to perhaps try and orient your magic towards those things. Now, by that I mean like you're not going to, if you dream about getting a new coffee table, I don't want people to do their magic to get a new coffee table, but I want them to write down that I had this crazy coffee table in my dream, write that down. And then maybe a little bit later on when they're thinking about it, it's like, oh yeah, there's this coffee table, but there was this, there was this incense that, that was on the coffee table. And I had this, this, and it reminds me of this thing that this other person said, And then that takes you on this strange journey. and But for some reason in there, you're like, but that reminds me that I wanted to do this in my magic. And I think that when people start to navigate and orient themselves towards part of their dream states uh, or things that have occurred in their dream, that they can get this very odd effect where they are embodying the imaginal in their lives. And I've always found that like an incredibly fascinating way of of trying to approach magic. And uh, I think that for one... If you're new to all of this, literally just start a dream journal. Get Eric Wargo's newest book and just try to see how strikingly precognitive your dreams can be. Get really good at trying to remember your dreams first, obviously, uh, because you can. That is something you, everybody can work on. And then once you have that and you honestly start to see how precognitive your dreams are, then you can kind of figure out a way, uh, just as how I explained, is to try and orient your magic towards the things and the symbols and the strange occurrences in your dreams and when you do that it's very odd stuff happens And some of it's very fun and some of it's very very funny i had a, I had this dream and uh in the the act of re-remembering it uh, or perhaps pre-membering as eric wargo calls it pre-membering something uh, it involved uh, bringing coins to churches and stuff like that and i just remembered as i was doing it it just seemed like such a very odd thing but i worked it in with some um uh, saint work that i was saint interactions that i was doing at the time and it was just so fun and then it all like kind of turned out in this really weird way uh, to be very effective and and yeah it was it was it's it's fun when like this is gonna sound so like slight but living your dreams by actually trying to do some of the strange things that you've taken from your dreams is an incredibly fun and fulfilling thing to do in your life. And, and you can actually see just how amazing dreams are, as well as how amazing your magic can be. So dream journals, I think very, very important, but for, if if you've never done any magic, start a dream journal, see what Eric is saying in the book, precognitive dream work. And you can literally start to see that you dream your future and that throws an entire wrench into everything that you've been told about your life up to this point right mm-hmm. and that's dangerous and that is the power of good magic i don't think eric would ever consider what he does magic although he said he he said when he was younger he did some chaos magic stuff but he would never admit that you know that he does magic although He's very fascinated by the magic, I'm I'm sure. Uh, he, He got very interested in Francis Yates' The Arts of Memory, and Francis Yates, of course, talks about a lot of magic, but you can see just how scary magic can be if the idea that you can see your future when you're unconscious, that changes everything. And that means the world you are living in right now is not the one you're told you're living in. And that's scary. That's very yeah. frightening for people, but do it and you'll see. And it's not like a platitude. Like, it's very, there was a gentleman from I forget which university who literally set out to prove himself to prove that dreams weren't precognitive. And it turned out when he finished his study, he's like, I see everything in my dreams. And it's really scary. He turned out to be like, his hits were incredible. He was like 80% precognitive or something strange. Maybe it didn't have a percent on it, but it was just like he found that the thing that he set out to not to, to prove was like nonsense. He was like, I don't think I can say it's nonsense. I, f- in fact, it's scary how much I can remember of the future. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> dreams are great and they're wonderful. I love dreams. They're, they're so wonderful.
0: Have you, have you had dreams where you feel like you've met some of the gods or, or entities that you've worked with in your magic?
1: Yeah, yeah that's that's kind of like the first um place you meet them um well, at least for myself the my dream world is a very active place and that is you know that i i don't want it to sound like it's one of those places where it's just like me opening a door and then they're suddenly there they come in very weird moments like they will literally just like walk into a dream and it's and or some just part of my dream will shift and they're just there um Dreams were the the vehicle via which I got into Magic in the first place. And it it will be probably one of the first places in which um, these entities will, will kind of talk. And a lot of people have talked about, you know, doing some kind of goisha or some kind of spirit evocation from grimoires and nothing's really working for them but then suddenly the very first place that happens is in their dream and then it's like off to the races for them and they they begin their relationship so that is something that definitely happens oh, but you know, it happens to me very often um the, the it's strange but the entity that appears to me the most in my dreams is actually my my Golden Retriever who passed away um, in two thousand and two thousand and four. She's she's in my dreams about once a week. and Yeah, it's wonderful. I have a my relationship with my my dear departed dog is is as alive as it was when you know when when I was when she was still here. Like on this waking part of our life, but we have a very interesting relationship now. And it, it's I this might sound you know crazy, but of course I'm talking about magic, but. um my relationship with her never ended right mm. <laughs> so so it's it's a very lovely thing
0: yeah that that really is lovely i i know in it hasn't happened to me very often but there have been dreams where i'm pretty sure that that something was was talking to me i can't i'm, I'm not sure what it was but it's just you know you you for some reason you you remember those dreams where you feel like something else was there with you Whenever I have them I, I'm always wondering what it is because it, it doesn't seem to tell me <laughs> no. um, but, but I'll have an interesting conversation and then I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I wish I could wish I had a better idea of of who you are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Write them down though. That's that's the interesting thing. If you can remember and that's something you literally have to train yourself to do. And I don't mean you have to be like lucid, although if you can get lucid in your dreams, that's a wonderful thing as well. But and even more strange stuff happens like i if somebody was to put you know uh you know a gun to my head and I, I don't like the violent imagery, but I'm just gonna say that but uh and said like what do you think is going to be like the next step forward with what we would call materialist science like what's the next bombshell um as much as I'd like to think it's going to be like something quantum and most likely it will be because quantum physics is still very kind of like, it's still, it's still sciency. I think that until we actually um, set that aside for a little bit and realize dreams and just how important dreams are and the fact that we can see the future in our dreams, that's literally going to be the, um, the card the first card that gets kicked out that makes the house of cards of fundamentalist science fall, and uh, it's going to be scary for a lot of people when that happens. But um, with your dreams and your interactions in your dreams, you can train yourself to remember better. Like you can actually put work. It is work. Like it actually is work to be able to be like, I, I, you have to set things up for yourself. You have to, you get to get comfortable. You have to have the pen here and like you create like a ritual space for yourself to be able to remember your dreams better. But if you can remember the snippets from your dreams, guaranteed parts of them will become incredibly profound later on in your life. And that's the cool thing about it. It might not be immediate. Um, sometimes what's scary about dreams is that it, it literally will be like either a month, a week, a year, two years, three years, five, like it has this strange, uncanny, like to the day kind of stuff, um, which is weird, but it just shows you just how strange and cyclical our consciousness in the world is. So I, I think I think that the one thing that people need to realize is that you can remember your dreams and there are some people, I mean, even the filmmaker Werner Herzog, he has actually said, like, I don't remember my dreams. That's why I make my films. But you can, in a way, remember your dreams. And so for yourself, Rick, with with these things that come to you in your dreams and you think they're talking to you, if you could remember, like, the things that they say or the instance or the surrounding, or if you can remember even three of the five Ws, like who, what, where, when, why, and how, if you can remember even that stuff, Um you might be able to be able to piece together small things and see like what they're saying doesn't make sense to me now. It might not make sense to me tomorrow, but what's really interesting about a lot of these interactions is that sometimes they'll make sense to you a week to the day, a month to the day, a year to the day. It is so bizarre, but the The hardest thing for people is, is one, remembering your dreams and two, being able to write down as much as you can about them. And uh, there's, there's tricks to, and you can, they're fairly simple, but to, I, I try to treat it like a ritual, like, tell yourself before you go to bed, I'm going to remember my dreams. And then you fall asleep and you you wake up and you can actually be like, ah, it is time to finish my ritual. And how do you finish your ritual is by writing down what you did. Or in my case, I actually, I actually record it on a phone. I have like a little voice recorder that, uh, that I have queued up. And as soon as I wake up, I literally lay the phone next to me and just talk. And some of the stuff I say is really weird, but it's great. Like it's so bizarre, the things that I remember. And then I will later write that stuff down. And then, yeah, just that process that Wargo talks about in his book. It's just later on, you, you go and read it again and some more stuff will come up. And the more stuff that comes up, that usually is the stuff that's precognitive. So, um, but yeah, the things that like appeared in your, in your dreams, are they entities? Probably, most likely. Um, that's a really great way of, of approaching them. Um, and it has been how from time immemorial, the Greeks, the Macedonians, the the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians—that's the place where they got a lot of their magic from and a lot of their prophecy from. So don't don't sniff at dreams. Dreams are dreams are the best. That is that is where stuff happens and it's it's really wonderful. It's not where all of my magic happens, of course, but it is probably the one place where it gets started or where the ball seems to get rolling.
0: Hmm. Cool. Well. Douglas, this has been a really fun and fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Rick. This has been an absolute pleasure and I've done a lot of the talking. Uh, I think you're doing great work. I, I love what you've got going here and uh, you have some of the most amazing people on your show. So please keep it up. It's, it's really amazing. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, you're very welcome. And thank you for those kind words. I, I love your podcast as well. If people want to find it, and find out more about yourself, how best do they do that?
1: Best place to go is whatmagicisthis.com. You can find uh, a way to uh, find my shows there. You can subscribe uh, on YouTube. And there's our YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. I'm Most people actually listen to me on Spotify, strangely enough. So... I think my my listenership might be quite young because uh, that's usually indicative. Spotify is the new tool that everybody's using. But uh, I also have uh, every show that I do, I have lots of links to book recommendations and whatnot. And that's all available on What Magic Is This? And uh, yeah, if, if people, you know, if they aren't unfamiliar with my show and they really dig what I'm doing, I also have a, a Patreon. Um, that's uh, you can find on whatmagicisthis.com and a link right there. But for most of the stuff, whatmagicisthis.com and, uh, or the Twitter I'm at at Douglas W M I T and yeah, that's, that's it. But what magic is That's the place to go.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put that information in the show notes. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Douglas. I heartily recommend checking out the what magic is this podcast. He covers an impressively wide range of subjects from alchemy to Satanism from Swedenborg to Agrippa. A word of warning though, the amount of books on your to-read list will increase dramatically, as every episode is packed full of excellent recommendations for additions to your bookshelf. That's all for now. Please consider rating this episode wherever you listen, and sharing it on social media, as it really helps the podcast to grow and find new listeners. You can follow some other sphere on Twitter at spherical pod, and subscribe on all good podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at Sphere HQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.